0: I think that we would all at least somewhat agree that the thought, the concept of having God working for us on our side is something we like. Whether you're a Christian or maybe not even sure what you believe about God, you probably have this thought that God is this powerful and creative being, and there's something about the idea that He would be on our side working with us and for us that brightens and captures our imagination. Maybe you've had an experience like I have of having somebody work behind the scenes for you A couple of years ago when we were living in Texas, I had a nasty fall on my mountain bike and I'd injured my shoulder. I went into a clinic to get an x-rayed to figure out what was going on and pretty quickly I was told after the x-ray, hey, you're gonna have to go into the emergency room. I didn't realize, I'll show you a picture of what my shoulder looked like. I didn't realize what had happened but my shoulder had disintegrated. The bone had fallen apart into many pieces. And so the first thing I did before I even left that clinic was to call my friend Joe. You all need a friend like I have in Joe. You see, Joe is a surgical tech in Austin and he is good friends with all of the top surgeons in Austin and so I talked to Joe very quickly and he said, hey, send me a picture of the x-ray. So I snapped this picture and I sent it over to him and within a few minutes I had one of the top surgeons in Austin calling me and talking to me about my collarbone and what he wanted to do with it. He said, "I'll, I'll we'll sort it out, we'll figure it out And from there on, as I I went into the hospital, as I went in and had surgery, it was like I had this golden ticket. In that moment, in that instance, I had found favor. Now, favor is an interesting word. What do we mean when we say this word favor? If you look up Merriam-Webster's dictionary, it says that favor is friendly regard shown towards another, especially by a superior. So what about God's favor? Is that something that we can secure? Where does it come from and, and where does it go? You know, if, if we, is that something that we can even lose God's favor? Now, the reason I'm asking these questions is because as you read through the book of Ezra, like we are in this series as a church, the concept of God's favor develops as a theme to, as we see it pop up time and time again. You can't read through the chapters of Ezra without seeing it. It's not the only theme that we see in Ezra. We've talked about a couple of other themes, opposition and rebuilding. Those are other things that we see. But this theme of God's blessing, God's favor comes up and he's very present in the two chapters that we're going to look at today. But don't just take my word for it. Let's let's look at God's word together and see this together. I'd encourage you, open a Bible, if you can, to Ezra chapter 7. And as you're turning there, I would encourage all of you to read along. Even if you don't have quick access to a Bible, you can look it up on your phone. Just put in your phone, Google Ezra chapter 7. And we're going to read from verse 1. Let's start there. Ezra 7 verse 1 says, Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra the son of and then it lists out the lineage or the the generations before Ezra now a couple of things are really worth noting here one is when it says now after this in verse 1 I read that and I want to think oh okay so it's probably a week or a couple of months after what had just happened the rebuilding of the temple and the Passover being celebrated. But actually, if you dig into the dates that were given in these surrounding passages, what you'll find out is about 57 years have transpired. When it says, now after this, that means 57 years. As a random side note, in fact, the whole book of Esther happens sometime between Ezra 6 and Ezra 7 in a different city. Now, the second thing that's worth noting is that this book is named after Ezra, but this is the first time he shows up. Here, uh, at roughly 81 years after the original first command was given and people returned to Jerusalem. That means there's been about three generations since the first group moved back to Jerusalem. So, who is this Ezra? Well, Ezra is described multiple times here in this passage as both a priest. And a scribe, a priest, is a special minister who engages God on behalf of god's people and and somebody who can trace their lineage back to Aaron and ultimately back to a guy named Levi. He's also described though as a scribe. a scribe is someone who is an expert in the knowledge and, in knowledge and writing of god's law, the Torah, the first five books of the bible the five books written by Moses. so what's going on here? is that God is sending another wave of exiles back to Jerusalem from where they've been living away from Jerusalem. They're originally from Jerusalem, but much time has passed and now he's sending them back. So what about the favor stuff that I mentioned earlier? Where, where do we see that coming up? Well, what we're going to do, we're going to look through these passages, uh, Ezra seven and eight. And as we do that, we're going to simultaneously be looking at some of the moments where we see God's blessing, his favor popping up. Now, Let's start that by going to verse 6. It says this in verse 6. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe, skilled in the law of Moses, that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord was on him. I want you to hear that line. The king granted him all that he asked, because the hand of his God was on him. We're going to see that pop up again. what, What we're seeing here is this indication that Ezra's relationship with God was not just the God of his forefathers or the God of Israel, it was his God. There's an ownership, there's a personal relationship, a connection there. Another interesting thought here is that there is this indication of favor. The hand of the Lord his God was on him. Now, what happens next is the next few verses give us an overview of what's then explained in more detail later on in chapter 7 and chapter 8. It gives us an overview of their journey. If you look at verse 9, it says this, For on the first day of the first month, he, Ezra, began to go up from Babylonia, and on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. For, here it is again, the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach the statutes and rules in Israel. Again, this is interesting. What it's doing is it's detailing what happens next. They have this speedy, not in our minds, but a speedy trip from Babylonia to Jerusalem. They take four months, which apparently was a blessing. That was a sign of God's favor. They moved about 900 miles. And we've got to imagine it was like, Uh, this big group of, of men and women and children and even probably some livestock with them. So again, we see God's good hand. And another interesting thing right here in this text is that we see Ezra's heart for God. In verse 10 in particular, it talks about how he set his heart to study. So these are interesting things to note. What we see next in verse 12 through 26 is the copy of a letter from Artaxerxes. He's the king. To, uh, to whoever may want to read it. Now, this letter is interesting. It's written in Aramaic. It's a copy of the original letter that would have been written in Aramaic. And I'm not gonna read all of it to you, but what this letter outlines is, is God's blessing. There's multiple ways that we see God's blessing and favor in this passage. First of all, Ezra is sent off by the king, the most powerful man at that time in that region. And he's not just sent, he's actually laden with gifts from the king and his officials. They send gifts to the God of Israel. And then after that, we also see that this letter actually acts a little bit like a company credit card. Basically, the king says in the letter, hey, whatever this man needs who is carrying this letter, like give it to him. And then it also acts as a tax exemption. It says, hey, these guys who are working with and on the temple, um, you need to not charge taxes from them. Another interesting thing is that it acts as this authority and, and this protective thing. It says, hey, these guys have authority, and, and this is their authority, and you need to like look after them. So what we see here is all of these blessings and then Ezra acknowledging those blessings if you go to verse 27 it says this blessed this is after the letter Ezra writing blessed be the Lord the God of our fathers who put such a thing into the heart of the king Artaxerxes to beautify the house of the Lord in, that is in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage, here it is again, for the hand of the Lord my God was on me, and I gathered the leading men from Israel to go up with me. So what happens next is Ezra 8 describes the people who end up going with Ezra. It talks about their their specific names and numbers of them who go. Scholars believe if you kind of extrapolate out how many women and children went with them, there was probably about 8,000 of them that went up in this moment from Babylonia to Jerusalem. Now, as they're leaving, they take a quick pause. And Because what they do is they discover that there aren't really many Levites coming with them. Now, the Levites are the priests who offer these sacrifices at the altar. And, and Ezra's like, hey, we need more Levites like myself. And so he sends people off to try and find some Levites to move permanently with them to Jerusalem. And what we see in verse 18 is what happens of chapter 8. It says, And by the good hand of our God on us, they brought us a man of discretion of the sons of Mahali and the son of Levi, the son of Israel, namely Shereba, and his sons and kinsmen, 18. So there's 18 of them that join in with this group. And again, he's like, this is the hand of God, like we're seeing God's blessing. Then what happens next is they pause and, and they take a pause at this same place to fast and to pray. And what they're praying is for God's safety and protection. If you read uh, verse 22 with me it explains eight twenty-two. it says for I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way since we had told the king the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him so we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. Again, this is us praying, and we see this moment of God's favor. Now, the last part of the chapter details their travel and how they protected some of the valuable items that they brought with them. And then it talks about them finally coming in. In verse 31, it says, When we departed from the river of Ahava, uh, no, I won't get this wrong Ahava, on the 12th day, of the first month to go to Jerusalem the hand of our God was on us and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes of the way on the by the way we came to Jerusalem and there we remained for 3 days they finally get to Jerusalem God answers their request that they've been fasting and praying about for safety now Uh, The reason I read all of these references to you is I want you to see that Ezra 7 and 8 is littered with references to God's blessing. Now, I want to say that, and then I also want to say that when we talk about God's blessing, what we need to acknowledge is that we're heading into somewhat dangerous waters. Over the centuries, many have run aground and, and shipwrecked their faith by having a distorted view of God's blessing and God's favor. In one extreme, people can treat God a little bit like Santa Claus. They want to see God in their lives because they want what they can get from God. Now, let's be honest for a moment here. People don't like Santa. They like what Santa gives. They like the presents that they get from Santa. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, there's certain people who who see God's blessings as some sort of evil that there is this like subjective line that you've got to stay under, that you know, if you have this level of monetary gain or if you have this sort of car that you drive or this sort of house that you live in, that you can't be holy. You've got to stay under this line that you've got to be in want, you've got to be in need, that it, it's not okay to even pray for God's blessing. Another distortion is, is where people see God's favor as something that you can obtain through some sort of simple formula, i.e. you do this, And you do this, and then God is obligated to bless you in this way. That is not true. That is not biblical, but some people believe that. So what is the right way for us to think about God's favor and God's blessing? Well, this is where what we've just read, the book of Ezra, and the rest of the counsel of Scripture is so helpful. I want to talk about four ways that we can look at God's blessing, His favor in a healthy way. The first is this, God's blessing... Is a benefit, but not the goal. I'll say that again God's blessing is a benefit. Yes, it's good, it can be enjoyable, but it's not the goal. You see, Ezra and his companions are pursuing God. We can tell that from the text. If you look at that 7 verse 6, which I already pointed out, it talks about how Ezra. Is this God, guy who doesn't just see God as, as some God over his nation. No, it's his God. There's this personal relationship and con- connection. We've also seen in, in chapter 7, verse 10, this thought that, that Ezra has a heart for God. It tells us that he has a heart to know God, to obey God, and to proclaim God, who, who God is. You see, God is the goal, not his blessings. And knowing God should be our goal in our lives. Knowing God should be our number one pursuit. Now, having said that, the second thing that I want to say is also true, and that is that it's okay to seek God's favor. When we have a restored relationship with God, and what I mean by that is we've had a moment where we've surrendered our life and said, God, I want to be yours. God, would you forgive me of my sins? Would you make me right with you? When we've had that moment, the Bible tells us that we are in that moment adopted into God's family and that He becomes our Father. And we must know and believe that He is a good Father who delights in hearing us and even giving good gifts to us at times. And so that means that we, as the Bible tells us, can boldly come to Him. And what we see is Ezra and his companions doing that. Remember what we read in in chapter 8, verse 21. What do they do? They fast. And they pray, they're seeking God's blessing, they're seeking God's favour. Now what we need to do when we seek God's blessing and His favour is to remember the first point that we made, and that is that we must seek God more than we seek His blessing. It's okay to seek His blessing, but first and foremost, we seek God. Now what plays nicely into this is the third thought, and that is that we must trust God when we feel and when we don't feel God's favour, We've got to trust God even in the moments when we feel and when we don't feel like we have God's favor on us. We must be okay with having it and with also not feeling like we have God's blessing in life. Talk to any person who's lived the Christian life for a long time and they will will tell you that life is seasonal, that the Christian life is seasonal. God uses both the good seasons, the, the seasons of suffering and the seasons of sweetness to shape us. He uses all of it. What we perceive as God's favor or lack thereof is not an indicator of God's love. Let me say that again. What we perceive as God's favor or lack thereof is not an indicator of God's love. Job was this character in the Bible in the Old Testament whose circumstances drastically changed. But what we know is that God's love for him was unchanging. Yes, his circumstances. It, it was like he had this moment of incredible favor and then a moment of incredible trial and hardship. And what Job says in, in Job 1.21 is just absolutely so important and beautiful. He says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. So we must read Ezra in its greater context, and realize that yes, chapters seven and eight talk about all these moments of God's favor and blessing, but they absolutely had to deal with opposition and hardship along the way as well. This is where I think Jesus is so helpful because Jesus is an ultimate example of of walking through the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows. I want you to think with me for a moment about the cross and all that the cross means. Christ, Jesus Christ. In that moment when he hung on that cross, experienced all the wrath of a holy God towards sin from all time. Arguably, from our perspective, in that moment, as he experienced the wrath of a holy God, was not experiencing the favor of God. That was the wrath of God. And that was so that you and I could have God's favor. To put it another way, he was abandoned by the father in that moment. So you and I don't have to be abandoned by God. Jesus is so beautiful. He's beautiful because of what he's done. We can now seek God's blessing with boldness because we have access to God through the blood of Jesus. And so I want to encourage you, friends. We can trust God in the highs and the lows of life. And when the blessing does come, this is the fourth thing. We need to acknowledge God's blessing for what it is. We need to acknowledge God as the source of that blessing. If we absorb God's blessings, if we just enjoy them without a posture of gratitude, we will start to ignore and even expect and feel entitled to God's blessings. Ezra 7 and 8 are such a beautiful example for us because what we see in Ezra is he's just highlighting all the blessings of God. It wasn't just coincidence. It wasn't just happenstance. They don't explain these situations away and say, wow, that was lucky that we got to Jerusalem safe. No, they realize that nothing happens by accident, that God is sovereign over all things, and they acknowledge, as we should, God's goodness. And they do that by not just acknowledging it in their hearts. They wrote it down. They proclaimed it out. God is good. So where does all this conversation about God's favor leave us today? Hopefully it leaves you with a greater appreciation for God's favor, and also some thoughts about what God's favor is and isn't. Maybe it's leaving you with some good questions to ask yourself. Questions like, are you pursuing God, or are you just after the blessings of God? And if that's, if that's a question that you're wrestling with, my encouragement is, is come to God and say, God, I want to love you, not the things that you offer. Maybe you've been challenged to even seek God in a particular area. As we've said, hey, it's okay to ask God for His favor and to pray for His blessing. Maybe there's a situation in your life that you haven't lifted up in prayer. And you're encouraged to do that today. Maybe some of you are are trusting God, but you're struggling to trust Him. Because as you look at your own situation and, and circumstances right now, it's a hard moment. It doesn't feel like you're in a moment of God's favor But what you need to be reminded of is that God still loves you, whether you feel His favor on you or not. Maybe some of you need to acknowledge God's blessings. You just take them for granted or even feel entitled to them, and that's a convicting thought. All these questions, these wrestlings are worth working through. And may God's Spirit just speak to you as you consider these things today. There's a blessing that was given by the priests that I want to end our time together with today. It's found in Numbers chapter 6. And these words encapture what my heart and my prayer is for us as a church. It says in Numbers six twenty four, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you, and give you peace. That's my prayer for you, friends. May you experience God's peace and his favor as you pursue him above and beyond the blessings of life.